sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Because while I had always been public about it in one-to-one conversations, I never posted out onto a platform where 60,000 people could see it. (laughs) My sobriety and my years that I've been sober and in my story, right? And so I was nervous putting that out there. Even though I knew that it was necessary for my own authenticity and my own commitment to living a life of service, that I felt very much called that I had to do this. This was necessary to do this. And we said as we started this out, like, if we help just one person, this is worth it. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That is Marin Nelson. She's a regional VP of Enterprise Service at Salesforce, and she's the co-founder and CEO of Soberforce. Now, this is the second of our conversations during this month, May 2021, about mental health challenges within the sales community. That's all part of an effort during this month of Mental Health Awareness Month to highlight this growing problem and to bring the discussion and support out into the open. So in our conversation today, Marin shares her story of recovery and talks about the path that led her and several other executives at Salesforce to create Soberforce. Now, Soberforce is an employee-led resource group within Salesforce that was started to provide community and connection for sober employees and support people with addiction issues and, importantly, to destigmatize addiction in the workplace. As Marin shares, they are raising awareness, they're being open about sharing their own recovery stories and are working to create an environment that encourages others to speak up in seeking help. Now, personally, I think this is a model that other companies can follow. You don't have to be a mega corporation to create this type of community to support your employees. So we're going to get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Marin, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Marin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is part of one of our conversations we're going to be doing during uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, but hopefully people listen to it beyond that. Um, but before we jump into talking about that, tell us a little bit about your background, your job, what do you currently do? Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, first of all, and thanks for focusing on mental health because that is a critical topic now more than ever, I'd say, after surviving, yes. continue to survive a year of <laughs> pandemic. A pandemic. Starting to see. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some 
some statistics that uh, somebody shared with me yesterday. That group is doing some um, research on this, and it was just saying that they are like that. Seven hundred fifty responses so far from sellers. Uh, I think primarily in tech space, but seventy-five uh, percent report currently, and this is data that's just a few weeks old. Overall stress levels is feeling stressed or highly stressed. Mm. Yeah. And 58% came back and said rated their overall mental health as fair or poor. Mm. And an yeah. interesting article in the New York Times today from Adam Grant uh, mm-hmm. saying that, you know, when people talk this fair, you talk about this condition they call languishing, right? Yes, it's not I depression. Saw that. It's- everyone's talking about this article. I think everyone's yeah. seen by this article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's like, thank you. Yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, I never heard it put that way before. But and how could you not? Yeah, right, the stress, the people who have gun right. kids at home doing school from home. We've got four kids. Anyways, I'll, I will answer your question. I I have not forgotten. You asked who am I, and I will answer that. But anyway, <laughs> well, that's okay. Thank you for having this focus because it is critical. And yes, to exactly to your point, mental health is struggling across the board. Addictions on the rise deaths from opioid overdose on the rise in scary numbers with this pandemic. So it's really important that we have these conversations. So I'm Marn Nelson. I'm regional vice president for Enterprise Service Cloud at Salesforce and have Mm -hmm. been there for four years. Uh, Before that was at a different startups in the healthcare software as a service space. So my whole career, 15 years, has been in this space. Um, And yeah, that's who I am on the work front. (laughs) Right. Well, so four kids. So yeah, you've had your struggles this last year. I mean, are they all school age or not? Or I am very lucky. So I have, I'm married to an amazing partner, my husband Darren, who is a full time stay at home parent. So that is like an immediate ah, okay. differentiator between me and a lot of my colleagues who are dual working families, which is a vastly different experience. So not to say that it hasn't had its struggles, but uh, it well, makes sure. it a lot easier when. We have the capacity for one parent to be on point full time in a safe yeah. way, right? We haven't had to have outside help and right. introduce risk in that way. Um, I have two stepsons right. who are 16 and 13. So they are, you mm. know, they're, they did really well. Like they, they are self sufficient. They, you know, they're doing the deal uh, on their own. They don't need the help with the homework and all of that. Mm. I think the hardest hit group, and then my younger two are our four year old twins who are not yet in school. So, right. We were lucky in that regard. My friends who had kids who were elementary age, like, you know, second, third, fourth grade, that's incredible. You, you were a teacher. Like, you, someone had to become yep. a teacher at home. Um, so I feel I have a lot of compassion for my colleagues who are in that space because I don't really know how they did it. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I interviewed, yeah, a woman named Tiffany Hempel from LinkedIn on the show a few weeks ago. And, and yeah, she should she'd caught my attention because something she'd written is, is that she has, you know, during the pandemic, she identified like 16 different jobs she had. Yeah. <laughs> Only one of which was, was her real job. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I, so much admiration for uh, people with kids of school age that have had yeah. to go through this. It's uh, even preschool. Luckily they're starting to go back. Luckily for all of the kids well being. you know, that's been the hardest part is just yeah. isolation, social isolation. And um, so getting back to school matters and luckily we can do it now in what feels like a safe way. So I'm ready Good. for that. Good. We're all ready for that. 
Everyone yeah, we're ready, ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those. Are, I mean, my wife and I are both fully vaccinated, and we're sort of yep. you know, tiptoeing out into being. Yep. You know, last last week was first time we went to a restaurant and Isn't it so you know, weird? took our masks off, and it was like, like it was we exceedingly weird. Are we taking it our masks off? Weird. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to have just weird social anxieties that we have to unlearn. I don't know. Well, it's Unlearn is right. That's Yeah. How I mean, fast it's... can we get back to whatever normal is without being afraid? <sighs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about something else that you do, though, because you're also yes. Thank you. president of, of an organization I am. Uh, within, within your employer, within Salesforce. And so tell us about that. Yes, thank you. So I am also president of Soberforce, which is a new affinity group we started in November at Salesforce. Um, and Soberforce, we we created it um, with other sales. So there are three other sales leaders in recovery. So I'm celebrating 16 years of sobriety on May 8th. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's hard to believe I'm old enough to have 16 years of sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? No, not at all. I'm happy to share. Um, so I got sober at 24 in New York City. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. So great place to of get course. sober. Great place to bottom yeah. out. Great place to get sober. Was uh, it alcohol or? Yes, alcohol. Uh, yeah. So, you know, nothing big and dramatic. Really, uh, there's an expression. I, I'm a part of a 12-step group, and that's always been my foundation of sobriety. And it's sick and tired mm -hmm. of being sick and tired. And that was my experience. Just um, come from a line of alcoholism in my family. I'm very lucky that I also have a lot of examples of long-term sobriety in my family, and so I had the example at a from the earliest memories of what a sober life looked like and what an active alcoholic look like, life looked like mm -hmm. in my in my family, my extended family. Um, my dad has a lot of years of long-term recovery. I got to think now, 33 years of sobriety. So oh, I had nice. an example right in my house, right, of what a sober right. life looked like and someone active in their sobriety. And um, I suspected I had a problem right out of the gate. I mean, I started drinking at 14, and I remember thinking at that young of an age, like, I don't think I'm thinking about this in the way that other people do, but I'm not <laughs> going to say anything, right? So. And you grew up in yeah. the Minneapolis area? I did. I grew up in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, went to school at Madison, University of Wisconsin-Madison. My hometown. Yay. Yeah, go Badgers. Go Badgers, yes. Um, both my parents are from there, as we covered, so we'll have to make that connection later. Get out the high school yearbooks yeah. and see if your brother and my parents were, in fact, in class together. Uh, Probably so, so. Yeah, yeah, so I there's there's a quiz. A Hazelden has a quiz online that's about, do you have a drinking problem? And I, Or at least they did. I'm sure they still do. And I took sure. it, I remember taking it when I was 18 and acing, acing that quiz. It was like, you drink more than 99.9% .9 of the female population. It was the only score I think I got that high my freshman year of college. And I remember thinking, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I go to a Big Ten school and I'm in a sorority sure. and whatever. I'm fine. Okay. But it stuck with right. me. It planted a seed, a very necessary seed. And um, I was really lucky that I had that moment what is you know, often referred to as a moment of grace that I had that awareness on May 8th of 2005 to think wow. I have a problem and I need help. And I called my parents and it still gives me goosebumps because that moment was, could have been really fleeting. Right. And I'm just incredibly blessed that I called in that moment and said, I need help. Um, 
I didn't. No, I did 12-step program every day, went to a meeting every day, put myself in the middle of the pack, and I've been really lucky that I have not found it necessary to drink since I walked into those rooms. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So Sober Force. (laughs) Yeah, so let's get back to Sober Force. So yeah, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. But so so what was the impetus for you to, you said there are four sales leaders in Salesforce, within Salesforce. Was one of them Chris Anthony? Yes. So Chris yeah, who's Anthony. been on this program, a friend, had, of, friend of the show. Yes. Right. I listened to that interview. That was great. So Chris and I didn't know each other. What's so great about this is none of us actually knew each other as sales leaders because we all are in different groups. Sure. And so Chris posted on LinkedIn about his sobriety. He went public with his sobriety last year. So we have the same amount last of time. Year. He was celebrating right. 15 years last year. And that got connected to another co-founder, Randy Ramirsma, who's a AVP of MuleSoft at Salesforce. And I right. connected to Randy because Randy had posted about his celebrating sobriety. Um, and then that brought in another leader, Chris um, Andrew Kostenbader, who's an AVP in enterprise sales. And so the four of us were like, well, we should get on a phone call and chat. I mean, like, it'd be so great to just connect with you guys. So we started talking weekly we had just a 30 minute call and really quickly we're like, you know what? Like these are hard times. This was last fall. So fall of 2020. Sure. We're like, these are hard times. People the, are really struggling. Death, yeah. People are relapsing. Right. Um, right. And I'm sure there are people struggling amongst us. I mean, there's statistics out there that say 12.7%, I think is a stat I had seen recently of people suffer with an addiction, struggle with addiction or have an, or are in recovery. Right. Right. Um, I'm probably butchering that stat, so you'll want to check that. But it, there, I'll, I'll find it and send it to you. But basically saying there are a lot of people, there are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of alcoholics out there. Right. And right. no doubt, I'm sure that that could apply to any corporation. And right, we're everywhere. Alcoholism mm-hmm. doesn't care what your income is no. or what your race is or your sexuality. Like we we are impacted everywhere. Um. And so we said, how do we get this out to everyone? How do we make this a conversation? How do we destigmatize both living in recovery and being an alcoholic in recovery, which is what the four of us are, and also make it okay to ask for help? And Mm -hmm. also maybe raise some awareness with allyship on don't just send the box of wine for a wine tasting. Like give people an option. Do they want wine or do they want a gift card to Bite Squad? Right. Because I think a lot of times assumptions are made, and, and I know I, I don't think, I know assumptions are made everywhere about this, and it's yep. gotten better since we started, which is great. Um, but just that pause to ask that question, because there are a lot of people who aren't safe getting wine shipped to their house. Yeah. And then no, you had on top of a just, pandemic. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was just reading an article that somebody had sent me about nine nine things to be aware of. Mm. In terms of, as we get back together, in terms of employee get-togethers, right? No more keggers, no more, you know, just to be sensitive to other yeah, other people changing. within the organization. Oh. Yeah, it's definitely changing. And Mark Benioff is very clear on his expectations around it and safety around it, which is great. Um, it's been nothing but, like, super supported since we started. So we started on um, Chatter, and now we've moved right. it to Slack, now that we've acquired Slack. Yep. We're acquiring Slack. I should know that. Um, <laughs> One of the two. I don't know if it's closed, Jeff, but yeah. I should know that. I think it's in the process, so you'll have to edit that. 
<laughs> um, so we, uh, we just put it out there. We made it public. We started sharing our stories. So posting in chatter, like what our mm-hmm. own stories were. And within six weeks, we had 300 people join as members, wow. which is incredible. Now of those people. Yeah. I mean, I presume most of them had maybe never disclosed to anybody at work. The, they were well, in recovery. Well, not all 300 are sober, so a lo- we want okay. allies to join. So we're very clear that, like, okay, because a lot of people are also still hold their anonymity close to their vest, which is totally right. fair. And sure. you know, I have no judgment on that, right? For me, I've always been public about it because it's in the beginning. It's partly how I kept myself sober was I just out mm-hmm. myself so that I was accountable, <laughs> and right. and now it's just who I am, you know? So it's part of my living and leading authentically and vulnerably to my own team is to share that, that I'm sober and it's a big part of my life. Um, but so the 300 people, I don't know how it breaks down there. What I will okay. say is more and more with each day are outing themselves. And a lot of people who are in early recovery, which has been really moving to see people mm-hmm. celebrating their day counts, celebrating their months sober we're doing this in mm-hmm. a pandemic and feeling safe enough to do it with their colleagues on sober force, which has been really incredible. Yeah. It has to be very inspiring because very inspiring because <laughs> and during brave. this time it's one well, brave and yeah, I mean, it is, it does take some courage to do this at a time when the levels of stress and anxiety are heightened yeah. where we already know that you know a large fraction of uh, people in sales are are feeling extreme levels of stress mm. compounded by the pandemic and don't feel, uh, as we said, <laughs> feel fair right. uh, or languishing about their mental health. Right is yeah to come forward and say yeah it could be so easy I think to say yeah I'll wait till this is all over right. is to do it at a time of heightened anxiety I, yeah is amazing. And what's so here's the thing like we. Had Salesforce not set up the framework for this, it would not have happened. Like, there, I can't imagine, well, I'll just say this. It was really easy to do this because we have the Office of Equality who has set the framework for equality groups. Salesforce is a trailblazer in these conversations, Mm -hmm. right? Right. In conversations around climate change and on being stewards for the climate, on women's equality and pay equality and diversity and inclusion, um, being mm-hmm. very vocal, right, with uh, the the killings in the last year, right, in Black Lives right. Matter. So it gave all of us permission. I know it did for me. I can't speak for the other co-founders. But it gave me permission to be courageous in sharing my own story. Because while I had always been public about it in one-to-one conversations, I never posted out onto a platform where 60,000 people could see it. My sobriety and my my years that I've been sober and in my story, right? And so I was nervous putting that out there, even though I knew that it was necessary for my own authenticity and my own commitment to living a life of service that I I -hmm. felt very much called that I had to do this. This was necessary to do this. And we said as we started this out, like, if we help just one person, this is worth it, right? Then we've been successful, and immediately people started pinging us one-to-one, calling us because we put our cell phones out there saying, I-, I had a guy call me who I had worked with on a previous account who said, I've got 10 days sober and I just saw your post and I thought about calling you before 
And I didn't because I didn't really know what your story was. I just knew you didn't drink at that dinner when we were in London. And mm. I noticed it. And he's like, but I just saw your post. And so I knew it was okay to call you. <laughs> and he is now celebrating, I think, let me think. So if it was 10 days, four months sober, and he just asked me to speak at his 12-step meeting. I mean, nice. it's just like, <laughs> it's just amazing. Like, and those conversations are happening pretty regularly. I mean, at least once a week. I have someone ping me yep. about a, a child of theirs who's struggling with addiction and what can they do and mm-hmm. a friend. And um, it is like, feels like the most important work I've ever done. And I love my day job. I love my day job. Right. But this is like truly heart-centered work that I was really asking the universe for a year ago and got presented. And I'm just beyond happy that we're in, we're in a place and we're in a company culture where it is not only supported, it's very much encouraged. And we're given the resources we need. Well, that's what I was going to ask about. So tell us about the structure. So is there a program or multiple programs? Yeah. Or, you know, so what, it's all getting started. Yeah. <laughs> we, just, we just got our leadership team, which is like, of course, just people raising their hand and saying, I want to help make this successful. Right. So we have a leadership team that just got elected um, a month and a half ago. Uh, we are partnered closely with the Office of Equality, so we rely on them for all of the structure of just how do you even do elections? How do you run this? How do you, you know, checking in on any legality issues that might right. be unforeseen, right? Um, they've been super supportive, and they've called out things to us that I didn't even consider, like, you know, like the comment around people calling us who are in crisis and saying, you know, that we want to make sure you're okay, like that you mm-hmm. guys don't get burned out because that's a lot. And so right. they're supporting us with the benefits office and employee success team to see what can we do to create more structure around it for people who are in crisis and need help, right? Right. Um, and we're helping to inform and influence that. And so it, it's all developing, but we'll, we'll have a standing monthly call um, that's open to anyone who wants to join. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to do, they'll be internal. So we'll have breakout sessions for people to connect. And then we're going to have external quarterly calls. We'll have an external speaker that it's a, a anonymous call in. Cause there's a lot of people who don't want to be associated who sure. the stigma is real stigma is real. And we're very intentionally trying to break that down, but right. everyone's on their own journey. So we'll have a call. That's a call in that's anonymous that will feature a speaker about their own story or about recovery in some fashion. Um, and then hopefully when events come back, we'll have a, uh, event at a Dreamforce, for example, right. Or because mm-hmm. the reality is like our customers are sober too. And so sure. we want to make sure that we're being very intentional about creating space for those people as well, um, with us at these events. So more to come, it's all brand new, but it's really exciting. And a lot of companies have started reaching out saying, how are you guys doing this? We need to do it. Yeah, I mean, that, so for companies and people are at least sales leaders listening to this, yeah, how do they get started? I mean, not everybody obviously has the, the resources of Salesforce, but they don't right. need to have the, the resources of Salesforce. I mean, I think it starts with just honestly leading authentically. I think everyone has a story. Everyone has something. Maybe it's not addiction for you, but like maybe it's depression or anxiety or yeah. a good friend sure. of yours or a family member of yours, right? Everyone's got some story. And so I think for me... It's about leading authentically first and foremost and vulnerably and being brave mm-hmm. in your vulnerability. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, <laughs> mm-hmm. as you can probably tell by my language. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it may and people relate to that. 
people connect to that. And so as far as starting a sober force at other corporations, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big endeavor. I think anyone who's sober and feels like they would be supported or or feel courageous enough to do it, I'd say, to bring that to your benefits team, to your employee success team, to your sales leadership team and say, I want to create a group where this is like we can connect. And it can be as informal as just like having a monthly call where you connect with each other, right? Or use whatever engagement tool you have to connect, whether it's Slack or mm-hmm. it's Chatter, like I mentioned, or another solution, right. like just to create a com- right. to create community to say you're not alone because people are really struggling. And and a lot of people don't know how to go where to go for help either, right? And so um, our program isn't associated to a 12-step program. And what's been great for me personally is to see all the paths to recovery that people have and are living mm-hmm. that are totally different from what I do. Um, but that could be the perfect path for someone else who's paying attention right. and wants to start there. So that's that's been really cool too to experience. So are you able to sort of catalog what those are so that people have a resource they can go to or do they yeah. have to contact you? No, no, no. So for, for me, um, I'm participating in a 12-step group, so I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Anonymity mm-hmm. is a big focus in press radio film, which is why I'm not disclosing the actual name of that 12-step group, but you could probably put it together. <laughs> uh, and because I do not reflect uh, all of that. I am my own story. Right. <laughs> sure. um, there are people who've been talking a lot about the book Drink, Quit Like a Woman. That's one. There's another book called We Are the Luckiest. And there are calls that have spun out and meetings that have spun out from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, then there's also the people who go towards religion and that's their path. Mm-hmm. There's people who do it just for the health benefit who are like super fit and they don't want right. the health implications of drinking. Right. Um, yeah. So I think there's lots. I mean, there's lots of paths. So are people, in addition to other you know, substance issues other than alcohol, also involved with it? Yes. And I'd say the bulk of us are alcoholics in recovery um, Mm -hmm. or people contemplating getting sober. Uh, But there have been people, which was really cool and also equally humbling how willing people were to be brave in their sharing. But on our first call um, during the questions and answers, people were asking, like, I'm in recovery from gambling. One guy was like, I'm in recovery from sex addiction. Like, I'm in mm-hmm. recovery from food addiction. Like, is this a place, is this my community too? And we're like, 100%, this is your community. Like, this is for all paths of recovery. And it's for all allies. I mean, there's so many people impacted who have family members, husbands, wives, kids, like, who struggle with addiction. And they need community too. And so mm-hmm. really just, again, it's like, how do we help each other by sharing our own stories? That destigmatizes it. Maybe it makes right. it, so what my focus in is like by sharing our stories, do we raise someone's bottom Do we make it right. easier to ask for help before all is lost? And I hope it's doing that. Well, yeah. Early days. I, I'm, I'm, it's exciting to hear about because it's something obviously it was needed and more, more companies could do it. I mean, one, one thing that's a question I'm sort of interested in, maybe you don't have enough data yet, but you know, I, we I talked about that statistic about you know seventy five percent of people in sales is feeling, you know, stressed or highly stressed. Mm. Sales is a stressful position, um, and obviously there's some correlation in some cases for some people that that their their addiction issues yeah. are stress relief and stress you know personal stress management techniques. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and this is our broader question, but yeah, how do we how do we how do we help people more in sales and maybe managers? Is mm. how do we create culture that's sort of this lesser de facto macho yeah. stress yeah. oriented culture to something that is more effective and less less perhaps less overtly yeah. stressful. It's a great question. I do think that there's probably a reason why, you know, if I think about Salesforce has a big focus on um, well-being. So there's a Be Well mm-hmm. series that was started uh, that Jody Koner has run and um, a lot of focus on, you know, the benefits of meditation and, mm-hmm. you know, we get access to Thich Nhat Hans, who's one of my personal favorites, um, like and who's weekly- that? email. He's teaches mindfulness meditation. So he has a monastery. He's a monk. He's a monastery in France called Plum Village. Um, so there's a big focus on wellness and there's a lot of resources, whether through our benefits or through our equality groups, um, there's intentional wellness days. I mean, we're in sales, like we're very mindful of the burnout and the zoom Mm -hmm. burnout and, um, the fact that people are being super productive because people aren't going on vacation and they're home all day working. (laughs) And so then we're giving days off. We're like, okay, we're just, everyone's off on Friday. Like, and we're making it happen because I think you can't not be aware of that. What we were talking about before we started the call, which is that people are balancing a lot right now. Um, so I think Salesforce and, sales leaders at Salesforce holistically do a really good job of acknowledging it. We can't take away the stress of the world, you know what I mean? But we can acknowledge it. And I think for me personally, like having leadership acknowledge what's happening in the world and the stress of the last year, especially with um, all of it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the pandemic, the social upheaval, the election, the not to mention then just personal life, Right. I shared that my mom passed away last yep. August in the middle of the pandemic um, from cancer. And it was pretty quick and it was gruesome. I mean, it's just painful right? going through that kind of grief. Right. But having that be acknowledged, having that be right. safe to share it, have it having space to just say, like, this is hard for me. That alleviates a lot of my own stress is feeling like I can bring my whole self to work and I can have mm-hmm. that be OK. Right. And we can acknowledge what's happening. And right. that's what's really different, I think, in this era compared to before is like when I started in my career, these weren't conversations we were having at all. Well, like <laughs> you did not talk not, about this no. stuff. No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, think about when I started. I mean, yeah, I mean. No, you know, we, this was, feelings. Uh, don't talk about feelings. Leave that at home. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We don't right? hear anything about it. Yeah. Yep, so I think it's wasn't. still a shift and I think there's still a, you know, there's still an adjustment of like, can, can I really say this at work? I mean, and I felt that way starting Soberforce, like, can, are we really going to do this? We're really going to put it out there and like, let everyone know. And then it turns out there's so many people who are like, oh, thank you. I've been looking for this community. I've been sober. I thought mm-hmm. I was alone in my sobriety. I didn't know there are all these people sober around me. Like, and right. the connections made from that. And that just leads, in my opinion, to happier, healthier people, which means happier, healthier employees. Right. And probably more committed employees, right? I would think so, if they're feeling supported. And I, yeah. and I think, for me at least, it seems like the, the, one of the huge values, as you just talked about, in terms of something like Sober Force and what could be things that you do in your own company, people are listening, Yeah, is that 
you know, sales is fundamentally a lonely job, mm. right? I mean, it's, it's your number. I mean, maybe a team number it builds up yeah. to, but no, you're right. I think I've always you carry that number. That you carry it. It's yours. There's a level of individual stress that perhaps just not found in other jobs. Uh, pressure, uh, feeling of responsibility for it. That yeah. you know, as I mentioned before, I think some sales cultures try to amplify that in a way that's unhealthy, mm. um, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, if you can find a community, <laughs> the, it makes you know, all the difference. Sobriety for any other mental health issues. Yes. Yeah, there's no reason to to be alone. No, it makes all the difference for me. Like I work way harder when I feel supported and seen. If I don't feel like you see me or value me and who I am, then I am begrudgingly doing the work. But if I sure. feel like I'm supported and seen and heard, and I don't think that's a unique trait, I'd imagine that's a lot of people. <laughs> Then I will give you well, 10x yeah. more, right? And I think that that translates. You take it to the next step, which is, look, yeah, if you're not feeling seen or heard and it gets reflected in your work and you're in sales, is, you know, you're really going to do the work with the, with the buyer so they feel right. seen and heard? Right. Uh, chances not. I mean, so you know, if the customer yeah. doesn't feel heard and understood, what are your odds of getting the business? Not yeah, very good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's been a fa- it's been an awesome journey to be on, and it's brand new. But I'm super excited for other companies to take this and run with it, and I hope they do. And I'm excited to hear about when they do because we are everywhere. Yeah. People struggling with addiction or in recovery are everywhere, and yep. you know you could you could the reason why I do it is not for the numbers, but I'm sure the numbers will prove out very well. <laughs> Which is, yeah. you know, someone who's not active in their addiction and is actually producing at work. That's a pretty good ROI story. That has nothing to do yeah. with our motivation for doing it. But there's right. it, it, what I, the reason I say that is to go, there's no reason a company should not be doing this. It's just, it's a win-win all the way around. Yeah, and I think it's just one of a number of conversations you talked about that companies need to have. And yes. hopefully some have had. Uh, yeah. Certainly feel very fortunate uh, with Howard Brown, our CEO at Ring DNA. We've had conversations on a lot of these topics mm. uh, in the last year, things that were you know affecting society at large. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Howard's a trained psychologist, so sort of unusual CEO background. Interesting. But, yeah. 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 So it's yeah, it makes for a really incredible environment. But other companies can do that. A hundred percent. The question I had for you is, so what's sort of been the biggest surprise for you since starting Sober Force? That's a great what question. What happened that you weren't expecting? I did not expect people to so quickly feel safe enough to post out their early counts of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm celebrating a month. I'm celebrating 100 days. I'm celebrating two months, right? Mm-hmm. I did not think that that would happen because... I don't know why I think because maybe my own fear of the stigma around it still. And so like, I feel like it's a, and probably also because it's been, you know, coming up on 16 years for me. So like, it's, it's easier, I would think for me to say it because it's just been part of who I am in my life for so long, but I'm really impressed and inspired by the people who are new to this journey and being brave enough to say it because the reality is relapse is a reality for a lot of people in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're outing yourself and, you know, hopefully what comes then out of that is 
both communities so people feel supported at work and outside of work in their sobriety journey, but also a more informed leadership team who can see and help their employees who might be struggling or might struggle at some point in this, right? And like, I think that'll be the next phase of this that I'm aware of is how do we um, educate our sales leaders in an intentional way around Mm -hmm. how to support someone who may be struggling with addiction. And it's a super fine line. And I don't always know where that line is because I'm not intending to be people's sponsor at work. You know, I'm I'm boundaried about that. Or a, or a therapist for that instance. Or a therapist. Like, right. no. So what I do is when someone calls me, I share my own experience, strength, and hope with sobriety. And then I point them to resources that have worked for me. And I'm also very intentional to say, this is just my story. There's lots of paths to recovery. Right. Here's how I did it. Here are some places you can go to get connected and to be a resource to them. Like, And I mean it when I say, call me or text me. Because this honestly is like what strengthens my sobriety is being of service to other people. So anyway, so that's what surprised me is that there are people who are getting sober in this pandemic and outing it on our Slack channel, which is being met with this overwhelming support, which that part I didn't doubt. That part I would have expected. But it's really cool to see. Right. And I think you are starting to allude to it as, you know, the other side of it is that when you do come out is you're suddenly accountable too, right? I yeah. mean, you've told people, look, this is so, right. that is a form of support, I think, is is uh, knowing there's other people that are helping to hold you accountable. But how much cooler is it that, like, now that our benefits team's engaged on it, and not that they weren't before, they obviously had a process for someone right. who reached out for support, but that we can get really intentional about it around right. what does right. it look like when someone calls and needs rehab? What does it look like when someone needs detox? Like, where do we point a family member who's looking for an interventionist and who's covered by our benefits, right? I mean, those types right. of conversations that we can have and help support and then get the word out about that to the community so that maybe your your bottom isn't getting fired because you didn't perform in your job, but maybe it's going and getting help and coming back and being a productive employee. And Exactly. One of our co-founders has that story of getting sober well at Salesforce and quite a few, well, obviously now with this people who are sharing their day comp, but like mm-hmm. it's been really cool to hear stories of people saying like, I am so committed to Salesforce because I got sober well here and I was fully supported. I got the treatment I needed. I came back. I was supported in my coming back. Like, and to just be able to have the chance to build upon that and what is already, you know, an established culture, but like to build upon that support Right. Because I think, unfortunately, a lot of alcoholics just get fired, in, in just generally speaking, in the world. Yeah. Well, I, but I think it extends, I think it extends to alcoholics, you know, people who are depressed, anxiety, yeah. that are, you know, aren't able to function. I, I do believe that, that you know, we, <laughs> you know, we spend all this time now talking in sales about, you know, we have to help our frontline managers become better coaches or all of our line of managers be better coaches and we sort of ill-equip them to do that. Uh, we mm. sort of say, go do it without giving a lot of the investment for the vast majority of companies. Mm. But equally as important, it's like we should be training managers to start to recognize some of the signs, you know, of people that are struggling. Yeah. And, and it's yeah not don't to be assume a that people just know what to do. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not to be a therapist, but, but this no. is a person that, that you're helping on a, a very personal path. You should be working this person to become the best version of themselves. Yeah. That's part of your job as a manager. 
And that means looking at a little more holistically than just yeah. what they do in the eight hours a day or whatever that they're working. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would hope, and this is you know, something I advocate for, is yeah, we get we train. And give <laughs> train people the chance, it. right? So if someone yeah. says, like, I'm going to choose to not get help or not treat my alcoholism, well, then there are probably consequences at some point for that, right? But, like, right. to just have the chance to get them help and get them connected. Yes is a change that's a that's a that would be a massive change yeah and again i think salesforce has done a really good job of it so i'm not speaking specifically to salesforce i just think generally speaking in our society if we could just do a better job maybe of seeing people and saying i see you and i care for you and it looks like you're struggling and how can i help you uh how much happier would we be and healthier as a group of people (laughs) oh yeah and i i think in sales in general too it's it's how do I say this nicely? Um, <laughs> is is that you know there's this myth that somehow back you know Sora and I was coming of age in sales back in the previous century that you know things were very formal and rough and tumble and very macho and and it's like you know it really hasn't changed much and perhaps it hasn't changed at all in a lot of those respects you know because there's a sort of expectation of being I think it's changing but maybe that's just because I'm in leadership and I'm not that (laughs) well I'm talking about there are certainly companies like LinkedIn or excuse me Salesforce that yeah absolutely yeah appear to be much more enlightened than others but uh, you know the horror stories after horror stories and and certainly yeah we have a long ways to go I'd say in general in just a society just look around at what's going on in our world right we have a long ways to go uh yeah for sure. But you're doing well. You're doing good for people, which is great. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm really inspired by what you're all doing with uh, Soberforce and hopefully it serves as an example for other companies. I hope so. I hope so. It's uh, It's been really meaningful work and I'm very grateful to be doing it. Excellent. Well, if people want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing with Soberforce or whatever, however they'd like to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn. So just Mm -hmm. find me there, Marin Nelson, and I'm probably, you'll find me. (laughs) Yeah, I think you may be the only one. (laughs) Yeah, you'll find me. I'm sure there's another Marin Nelson, but I'm the only one at Salesforce. (laughs) All right. Marin, thank you so much for taking the time and and sharing your story with us. And yeah, letting people know what the good work you guys are doing with Soberforce. Appreciate it. Well, Andy, thank you to you for having these conversations. It really matters. So I appreciate you making space for me to share the story of Soberforce. Well, thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. We're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Marin Nelson, for sharing her story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help, and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.
Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.